0: Hello friends, welcome back. My guest today is Robert Glazer and we are talking about how to elevate yourself and reach your potential. Closing the gap between where we are and where we could be is one of the most important pursuits in life. And today we get to learn Robert's best advice for elevating your spiritual, physical, intellectual and emotional capacities, why looking for a cerebral answer to every problem can be a poor strategy, the most powerful changes you can make to impact your growth and much more. Lots to take away from today. So if any of the strategies or tactics really resonate with you, then feel free to reach out to me at chriswillx on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Uh, reach out to me. Let me know what you think of this episode or any other episode. You know, just one in a little bit of company from the outside world during a pandemic. <laughs> all right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite demand NetSuite has extended its one of a kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/modern right now. That's netsuite.com/modern. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've worn Whoop for over 4 years now since way before they were a partner on the show and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous you do not remember that you've got it on and yet it tracks absolutely everything. Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But for now, it's time to elevate our potential with Robert Glazer.
1: What does the word elevate mean to you? Yeah, I mean, to me, elevate just means taking it to another level. And I think the important part of that, and, and, and the way I look at it differently than, than maybe some others, I think when you talk about success versus achievement, but to me, it's like really like to your potential, not other people's definition, not what other people think you should be doing, but how, how do you, within you, you know, raise your game to another level from from the potential that lies within
0: and you've looked at a framework to go around that. Obviously, you're a business owner, multi yeah. multinational international business for multiple years now. Into the uh, into the twilight of running a business, I think as as many people would yeah was, would have said by this time, not many people have or survived least, as at long least as you the
1: teenage adolescent years. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of fell into this framework um, by accident. So uh, I had actually started a note to my team about five years ago every Friday. It came out of actually a personal leadership uh, event that I went to for a week that was hugely impactful, very focused on improving your morning, uh, things you can do in the morning, kind of think, reflect, read something positive, write the reading positive stuff that i wrote was just way too rainbow and unicorny for me like it didn't it didn't do it for me like so i i had some stories and some quotes and some stuff that i saved and i just started writing this note to my team every friday of 40 and it was it was something about we were rem- all remote and it was about getting better or improvement and it sort of fell into a formula and i wasn't sure if people were reading it but i liked writing it it was a good habit and eventually i heard from back, back from people that they were they were reading it they were sharing it inside the company i told some other people around it eventually I opened it up so people outside the company could join it. And there were a couple hundred thousand people within a few years signed up for it. So what happened was that when I went to write a book, uh, our company had really grown. We had sort of tripled during that time period. Um, I was meeting a lot of interesting high achievers all around the world. And I just it, this pattern analysis sort of came up, which was I, I tried to write a compilation book called Friday Forward, ironically, which is the book I had just released, but no one would buy it. Maybe they, they said, "Look, you're not. No one knows you, and you can't write a compilation. These stories are online." But the agent challenged me to, like, "What's the story behind the story?" And so, so when I actually started looking at how had I fundamentally changed my life in the last three years, what how what how had we grown as a company? We always said we invested in people holistically why were these little notes having an impact on strangers i had never met and what was common about all these high achievers that i would run into like these four things just i mean i had lists and cry and it just you know you know punted squares and it just always came back to these four principles of of and this notion of the people build capacity faster than others and it was spiritual intellectual physical and emotional i just saw that pattern and actually from our company standpoint that's how, how we've been training our employees not not, I mean, yes. There's direct training to what they are related to, but we had tried to. We were training them to become better overall, and we were getting the business benefit of that, and they were getting the benefit outside of work.
0: It's off- odd to hear someone in the business sphere use the word spiritual.
1: I don't. Yeah, and I and I, look, I I struggle with that word. I am not very religious. I I tried to find a hundred different <laughs> words that might work for it because so spiritual capacity is not religious in my definition. It is. It is. Who you are and what you want most. For most people, I think it is being able to identify their personal core values, because I think that ties to their success everywhere, it ties to their success with their selves, with their family, with their business. And and like we work with leaders in our organization to identify their personal core values so so that they can understand themselves as a, as a leader. I think most people, that is just the missing like rudder in their life in terms of getting the boat going in the right they might have a really nice boat might be going really fast and look pretty but it is like going to antarctica and they want to be in hawaii and it's not until they get to antarctica that they realize that really doesn't make them happy Shit,
0: i didn't mean to be here i've got two two threads (laughs) open in my mind first one was greg McEwen, author of essentialism on this show he told us a story about an executive he worked with who'd got to the top of a particular industry, a very well-known industry. Uh, 25 years, he'd been working there and found that when he made it, he was VC of something international corp, um, yeah. multi, multi-limited. I think I know the story, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he found out that he, he didn't have a, he couldn't talk to his son. Him and his son had a very estranged relationship. His son was 18 or 20 or something and his son wouldn't speak to him. Literally, the, the relationship had just devolved into nothingness. And he got to this peak that he thought he was going to this destination this antarctica and then in greg's words he realized that he'd won the wrong game and that avoidance of going incredibly fast in precisely the opposite direction and that is the other part which is a mental model called direction over speed that if you're going in precisely the right direction even very very slowly every day you're making progress
1: Conversely, you can go incredibly you're off by fast. Two, two degrees, and you're going. I mean, this is what we learned with the parallel lines, and yeah, I, there's a slide I show in one of my presentations on capacity building, and it has this beautiful house on a lake, right? And it's a similar thing, and I say to people, you got to be if 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 this house is your goal, you got to be very honest with yourself about the why. Is the house to show yourself in the world you made it right? Because because then that might have one level of satisfaction. But if you say that it's this house that you have to have on a lake for your families and generations. And in getting the house, you lose your kids and get divorced. (laughs) You you are not likely to reach your goals. I just don't think a lot of us, if it was really about family, if family was the why, then you should not sacrifice family in the pursuit of that house. You should actually vacation with a family and pick the land together and work on the drawings together. You should not go isolate from yourself and your family and make money. So, so I think that's, I came to understand at some point that that long-term, the connection between spiritual and intellectual capacity, so intellectual capacity is like your operating system. How do you learn, plan, goal set, execute with discipline in service of, of what you want? Your long-term goals need to fulfill one or more core values in order for it to work, right? You have to be working towards something that actually fulfills a core uh, purpose or else it, I feel like you get to that hollow that hollow ending
0: very much so how do people find their why then is that where we start is that the beginning of the the mot that we're we're going through the service that we're going through
1: yeah the the the, uh look a lot of people now this is a great time to think about it the why is a whole more complicated process i i consider the why similar to the sort of core purpose Uh, i think it's the topic sentence i think that's deep and requires a lot of work if you figure out your core values first, to me those are the pillars. Like if you can identify, these are my four, these are the core principles, I am, I've always been, I've impacted why. Sometimes the why starts to become clearer because it is literally like the, the roof or the topic sentence that sits across these pillars of values. I always say for, for a company, the why is easier because it's always usually why they started, right? Like we started to eradicate blindness and then they figure out the values as they get team. For a person, I think you you more want to be clear on the values. Um, and then the, the why is is hard work. And it ties to Friday forward I wrote this week. I mean, I will say 90, not 90, 70% of the time, I think people's why is connected to a deep point of pain or something early from their childhood or an experience they had from which in, in, a, in a positive way becomes the driving Force for why they do what they do. I think it's very obvious for some people. I think for other people, it's sitting right there. But it's amazing how they haven't made the like a couple of times because I've spent a lot of time paying attention to this. I've asked people a question or pointed it together, and you know, it, and and they look like suddenly very shocked and vulnerable. Versus some people are aware. I was at one of these dinners uh, a while back, and there was one of these you know sketch artists who you know does the whole thing in real time. And, uh, you know, because I'm around this a lot, I was like, this is an amazing skill. Like, how did you learn this? And she said, my purpose is to help people see and be heard. That was her answer. And I was like, you know, I'm like, you hear that out of 1% of 0.1% of all of people. I said, can I ask you a question? Uh, and you don't have to answer it. I always predicate you don't want to. Does that come from a very personal place for you? I, I just love to know. And she looked at me and she's like, I had a significant stutter until I was 15 years old. So to me, that was just like that is that's a case study. And I think for that type of person, it's clear for a lot of us, there's this mental firewall in between the experience and 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 that, and I, you know, I think some people don't want to be as a victim to me. It's just your story. It's your truth. You know, the example I think I used in the book is like let's say you had a single parent who did their best for you and worked three jobs and got you into college and made you successful but you were alone a lot after school because of that you might go on to form this award winning after school education program like it's not it, it it's just your truth your parent you're not upset about your parent they did the best but there was something in that 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 you know you wanted to fix for other people and in fact i actually think that severe drive comes th- is what is what's created from that experience
0: it's so interesting what our childhood experiences and the Predispositions and the presumptions that we have about the world and ourselves and how we connect with others—it's—it carries through and then it keeps on rearing its head. You know, like when you see yeah. uh, dolphins jumping out of the ocean, you're like, "It's flat," and then every so often it just jumps out and you're like, "Oh, there's that thing again." Um, Stephen Pressfield was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he talks about shadow careers. Have you heard him talk about this? No. Okay, so it it sounds like it might tie into what you're talking about there that a shadow career a lot of the time is analogous to what someone feels their true calling is but it's far enough away that it protects them from failing at yeah, the thing they love super interesting so the examples yeah. that he gave were um people who always wanted to be actors that go and become entertainment
1: lawyers so they yeah. are close to the I actor. you were say they become like play coaches or something like that, but yeah,
0: <laughs> maybe I guess maybe the, maybe the director as well, perhaps yeah. that they get to they get to do it, but they don't um yeah, and they they get to look after, they do to the, sort the deals it's analogous, they're kind of there, but it's a shadow career it's just a it's the lesser version of of what they genuinely wanted to be. Someone wanted to be a, a singer on stage and then became a teacher teaching music, and you're like well it, you you almost there but without the pressure and i think that's kind of related what's interesting and and,
1: and i think what we'll see coming out of COVID, i mean how many people you know like people get comfortable and you know in that comfort they are not willing to leave okay for better right so i think you know they get laid off and that shadow career becomes the primary career it's oftentimes it takes that i think COVID 19 will be a huge career transition for a lot of people say look you finally took away from me what I wasn't willing to kill, the sort of comfortable, <laughs> and, and, and now I'm going to, you know, in the midst of this without good options, I'm going to lean into that, right? And yeah. uh, it, it's interesting how that how that happens. Do you think that we're going to see
0: the reversal of the polarity of this stuff? Because I was talking to Daniel Sloss, Netflix special comedian, this week, and he yeah. said he thinks we've lost a whole generation of creatives and artists in all forms live musicians that have realized they can't perform live, comedians that haven't been able to keep their comedy going, artists that can't go and sell their work to anyone because no one's going to art exhibitions, etc., yeah. etc. I wonder whether the people who had um, embraced their proper calling, their full yeah. calling, perhaps may have had it muted go the other way? and yeah. go into shadow career, and the people for whom they were looking for this opportunity, I wonder whether you're going to have the entire stool, bar stool get turned upside down
1: yeah you know there are always some seismic and permanent changes in these things but then i think there's always an overestimation of things that will never be the same which you know isn't true i, I just think you see a, you see a ton of innovation right i think you see i remember watching this video of an exercise person doing it in front of an apartment building and everyone was out on. Uh, that, was, that, was that in so, uh, italy i think yeah yeah so I, <laughs> I, I i look i think the art i think everyone will innovate i think it will be over you know at some point people are actually you know really desperate for music and creative and there'll be a ton of demand um but but it's almost like there will be some rotation right some of those people might give up and get into something else and then have a fear of going back but i think then you have those other people we just talked about who might actually dive into that because there's no risk now um so i i i continue to see any business requires innovation i think you'll see new types of art or digital art or outdoor art or concerts and some of that stuff will stick, and people may, you know, you may just be more outdoor. I'm surprised still someone hasn't figured out how to do a massive socially distanced comp, comp, uh, concert, you know, on a. So we on, had on one. Green. We had one.
0: Yeah. I I shit you not, ten minutes behind me. Yeah, there was a thousand person music festival going on. Yeah. I know we're not talking, uh, like Creamfields or Coachella kind of size yeah, yeah. but it was um individual pens people came in in zones um you had like a a, a fenced yeah. bit around you you and a group of six in a bubble and there was service going past but live band live music stage show and
1: I'm sure inter- people wanted i'm sure they were so happy to have that right it was like a big a, yeah. um we I mean, could it was, charge arm and a leg for that <laughs> yeah for sure
0: yeah exactly okay so core values in that case yeah. if core values are going to inform purpose where do we start finding our core values be some people listening. Perhaps for whom they are really questioning their current life direction at the moment, they think, "Come on, Robert, give me the give me the red pill on core values."
1: Yeah, it's 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 not that easy to do. I've actually uh, just finishing up a course on it because the thing I get asked about the most. I I, I put a couple um, resources in Elevate on this and questions you could ask, but it's a process um, that you go through, and it 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 takes six to twelve months, but you start it, and I think you start with some questions and there's some examples on there on, you know, thinking about the types of scenarios with you've been really, ha- I, I'm gonna paraphrase a complicated process into simplicity, sort of how it's done, cause I've done this with now a bunch of different leaders and it, and it works, um, but you ask a bunch of different questions that, uh, uh, and you answer them for yourselves that produce Uh, responses like they're kind of best and worst and and you you ask them a bunch of different ways you create a bunch of different lists and then you start looking across the list for the themes because where was I successful? Where was I not? What are the characteristics of people I struggle with? Where do I not? You know, one of the one of the and you start thinking about those questions, you will start to notice patterns that will illuminate your core values. You know, one of the questions that, that I always say that that's the 101, the sort of 303, I don't know if you guys use that numbering in college classes, university classes. I have no idea what class. you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So 101 <laughs> is what we call entry-level <laughs> university courses uh, here. So the the advanced version is if you want to sit down right now. Right, what, what someone you would want someone to say at your funeral for your eulogy about you and the impact that you had on their life. I did that exercise long before I did the actual core value work. And a lot of the terminology was in there because when you get that raw about what, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want people to think of you? It, it gets to your values and the impact that you want to make. Um, but you know, I, I always say like it, the analogy that I give with core values, I think we know our core value when it's crossed, right? And and that's a lot of us. So picture you're driving a really nice car through a tunnel. The lights are off. You hit the right side wall. It goes, you know, all this stuff. So you, you pull the car off the wall and, and, and you get in the lane and then you hit the other wall, right? This is kind of how we make decisions when we don't know what our – it's like once we feel that it's crossed, we move away from it. But if that's a nice car, you'd really want the lights to be on and the things to be painted and saying, I shouldn't get near that wall. And that wall is that job, that person, that relationship because because these are opposite values to myself. I, I talk about the big three. I think when you think about you know, where you choose to live, who you choose to partner, your vocation or work, it, if you make those decisions not aligned with your core values, it's very unlikely to work. You can marry someone or partner with someone who's different, different hobbies, interests, whatever. But when you get to the hard stuff, if your values aren't aligned, I think that's the. I don't think you're. It's not a clone. It's clearly the opposites attract. My wife and I are very different in respects. But when we get to the really hard, difficult stuff, we are philosophically um, aligned on it. So that's the that 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 that's the basics. I think you can have decisions in front of you, and you should say, "I should do that. I should not do that." I've heard you say that.
0: Physical fitness, physical well-being is one of yeah. your core values. What are the rest of them?
1: Yeah, so so it's it's. Uh, I'll just run through them quickly. The oh, oh one of my core values. Yeah, uh, yours. What are yours? My my my. So my core values are health and vitality. So that includes physical fitness. So uh, find a better way and share it, which explains a lot of what I do. Self-reliance. Uh, one that I came up with that really is fitting, but it took me a while to get the right word, which is respectful authenticity. And then the last is long-term orientation. So if I pick some activity that is aligned to all of those or if I pick a parental activity, like I am so happy and I'm doing well, if I do something that crosses a lot of those, then uh, not so well. So when you think about those first two, like find a better way at health and vitality, right? Every year I pick a fitness challenge or something new for me to do because I haven't done it. it, it's better way. And then it forces me to train and, you know, be healthy and and that's important. And so what, when was, we this, what our, was this year's? This year's is a half marathon, which I'm is I'm going to have to do Socially virtually. Distanced. Yes. <laughs> but I'm working <laughs> up towards that distance. Um, I've biked from London to Paris two years ago with a group. I've uh, done Olympic triathlon. I've just a bunch of different uh, stuff. But um it's interesting, like when we talk to our kids around, you know, we have family core values, too. And when we talk to them around, like not having a third cookie, you know, it is under the value of because we talk about being healthy and that's not healthy. It's not a rule. It's a it aligns to a value.
0: Are you familiar with Ben Bergeron? from the no. CrossFit world, you would really, really enjoy his work. So oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I, yeah. He's a ex-coach of Matt Fraser, fitness man on the planet. Uh, he has a podcast called Chasing Excellence, which is named after his book. And um, I would highly, you and him sing very much from the same hymn sheet, especially with regards to the family values thing. Everything yeah. that he does is driven from his values. Uh, I, I think that's great. I, I spent a lot of time this year working on my core values and it's really informed a lot of my direction um it's helped me to lean into discomfort in projects because i know that it is truly aligned with the things that i do yeah. as opposed to previously especially if you suffer with imposter syndrome which we all which do which
1: all successful people do you know people who've gotten there for the wrong reasons don't seem to have it <laughs> yeah we also we realize people who are lucky never have imposter syndrome it's interesting people who work hard
0: have <laughs> well, i'll i'll take that as a compliment in that case. Um, Yeah. So it's really, really helped. So everyone that's listening, if you haven't gone away and done that, um, get yourself a copy of Elevate. Otherwise, Chris Sparks, he has a experiment without limits. Um, there's some great work, worksheets in that. Taylor Pearson also has some great worksheets. Um, some good ways to do it. So we've, we've spoken about the spiritual. Should we go into the intellectual next? Do those two yeah. kind of follow on from each other?
1: Yeah, they they actually go in a particular order uh, for me. So let let me just let me set the framework, and then we can dive in each one. Just to make, I'll recast. So spiritual is your core values, kind of you know who you are and what you want want. Intellectual capacity, as I always say, it's about how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, execute with discipline. So this is kind of growth mindset, being proactive, long-term goals, short-term goals, routine habits, accountability. It's kind of once you know what you want, how do you get it, your operating system? How do you make your operating system better? Then physical capacity, kind of what it sounds, you know, health, well-being, physical performance, resilience, kind of embracing competition, really. Now I know, now I know what I want. I know I want to get it. And now I'm motivated to you know, keep myself in good shape uh, to get there. And then emotional is the last one. It's interesting, the hardest one for a lot of people. This is the world around you. So it's how do you react to challenging situations, your emotional mindset and the quality of your relationships? So my analogy is that if if spiritual capacity was designing the race car, uh, you know, intellectual capacity was building it, physical was sort of testing it on test track. Emotional is like, how do you do in that car when it's out on the road with the rain and sun and lots of other cars, right? Some cars will, do better than their spec and some will do a lot worse so emotional capacity is really interaction with with the world around us and the things that we don't control
0: based on your time coaching and also working within your business yeah. which of those four areas do you find people falling short or tripping over the most
1: i most so it's interesting like for me i i fall in and out of uh them you know physical and physical can be a real gateway if you get tired and cranky think about it you you lose sight of your goals you don't interplay well with other people you know it, you you kind of give up your learning and your thinking a lot of that stuff I, I, for most people i think they haven't even touched the spiritual capacity part and, and and so the most important thing that they can do is start the work there that's the one for me that once you get it 90% right you're pretty good it doesn't require daily maintenance as much because the other ones align you to it, right? You say, Oh, I know my values, So I need, this is what I need to go and learn and do. Um, but I, so I, I would say that I think that that's the one that people haven't touched. I think a lot of people struggle the most with emotional capacity, particularly right now, uh, in terms of when they know what they want, they're still haven't moved away from people who aren't aligned to that, or they really mix things that they control and that they don't control. Right. So perfect example You and I get into a car accident, you know, this morning. Um, You know, you you, uh, are are, are enlightened, and so you're like, oh, I've got insurance. That could have been worse. You walk away, you go go do three podcast interviews, you have a great day, you meet a bunch of friends, all that stuff you know, I'm like swearing all day, freaking Chris and one more thing in the world that what could go wrong this year and I, I get into a fight with my brother, I don't do the goal thing that I said I want to do. Like we both experienced the same thing, right? How we chose to respond and react to that, we tell ourselves different truth. We tell ourselves the truth that my day got ruined by a car accident. Well, that's not, that's not really the whole truth. The truth is you had a car accident and that wasn't your fault, but you control what comes after that. It's interesting that you haven't mentioned there, or at least I said
0: what some of the hurdles people overcome, you mentioned that a lot of the time we vacillate between many of them, but intellectual wasn't one of the ones at least that came to the forefront of your mind. I think I've got a potential hypothesis about why that might be the case. I think that increasingly solutions to problems in a postmodern, enlightenment, non-religious world are very cerebral. We have this huge proliferation of personal development self development and and yeah. rightly so you know I'm contributing to it now. We put three, four, five hours of personal development content out every single week, yeah, I think a lot of the time that causes people to to look for a very cerebral very cognitive um very transactional solution, okay, right. I have a problem with my this thing like. Which page in atomic habits is it that I need to turn to to like find the particular habit that I'm doing right. to do the whatever thing or like what it was in a, you know, I mean, it's, it, that's how I think that a lot of people are looking to get the solution. Whereas what you've identified there is it's all of the ancillary stuff that actually feeds in to our ability to get that engine to be bigger, to get the fuel efficiency to be faster, to get the uh, steering to be tighter.
1: Right. And, and, it's an it's an interesting point you make because I think that a lot of people in that realm, in life, are again they're looking for that hack or that quick fix. But that's not what it's meant to mean. It meant to mean once I know what my most important contribution is, I'm going to do everything I can to learn and and focus and be disciplined about going in that direction. It is it is the glue that sort of holds you to that. It's not the it's not the quick fix, right? I'm not. I I think there's a misunderstood line between the 80 20 rule and hacks. You know, I I think that I I think there's always an 80 20 rule. There was just some study I saw yesterday, someone sent me because they know I love the 80 20 rule that like 20% of super spreaders or 19.8% of super spreaders in Singapore had created 80% of the cases. Like it was just really, it was really (laughs) interesting. Do you want me to give
0: you another one to add to your collection? (laughs) Yeah. So the bottom 80% of men on Tinder. Are competing for the bottom 20 percent of women and the top 80 percent of women on tinder are competing for the top 20 percent of men Sounds about right that's from datanomics so there you go facts don't care about your feelings karen i'm very sorry about that um intellectual how can we talk about expanding our intellectual capacity what are some of the the key areas that you um find coming up during your work to do with that.
1: Yeah, so so to a lot of its goal setting and I think understanding I was not I didn't understand this. You know, I would set a lot of one year goals and I would meet them and I'd feel great but they weren't connected. So to me it's now a reverse engineering process. What are the long-term goals? Do the long-term goals fulfill the values and therefore Short-term goals are actually down payments on the long-term goals, or else we go for the short stuff. Versus, like, I need to make deposits. When you have two things, and one of them is put the envelope in the mail, or the other is climb the mountain. Like, we just put the envelope in the mail. We put the envelope in the mail. And the mountain stays pretty far. Rather than take a step, take a step, take a step. So, I, I think it's. I think at, I'll give. I'll answer this. I'm giving you examples at both ends of the spectrum. So, really setting what we want why we want it and then committing to the pieces to get there again back to that house like i want this house and well i need to save the money for it my family and i need to go to towns find out where we want it to be we need to pick a develop like those are all things i could do over time rather than just you know deciding get there and then the other fully through the whole spectrum on the other side of routine all that stuff i think is just accountability right Great people and leaders they want accountability other people do not you know I was hearing someone reinforce that like world uh, Todd Herman world class performance coach and he was saying like Michael Jordan they love accountability they love being yelled at told they're not doing something you know average people do not want accountability they want to excuse their way out of it so there's multiple levels of that. You know, there's self-accountability, which is can be journal writing. It's really annoying to write you're going to do something for five days in a row and read it, you know, <laughs> and then do it. There's there's peer accountability where even me sending you what I said I was gonna do that week every Friday at 10 a.m., you know, ups it up. And that's where a lot of mastermind groups come in. And then there's public accountability where people just put their thing out at the beginning of the year. Dear world, this is how much I'm gonna weigh at the end of the year. This is what I'm gonna do. A- a- anyone who does all three is is probably in a unique rarefied feel i like it where else in intellectual do people have holes that can quite easily be filled i yeah i i think there is confusion between an intellectual capacity is not doing more right it is actually think about upgrading the processor when you upgrade the processor it should crunch more data with less energy right so i think a lot of times like let's say I, a lot of people, this crosses into emotional, I struggle with difficult conversations at work. Like, I really struggle with them, performance conversation. So the night before, I sweat, I don't sleep, I get all, whatever, or I just sit down for a day and I read three books, you know, I, I listen to Patty McCord's podcast, who's or Kim Scott, who are like the world leaders on difficult conversations, and I now have upgraded my operating system with the tools and tactics. We're actually doing this now, is less work and less energy. That to me is a huge mistake. I am not advocating anyone run the hamster wheel faster. I am saying upgrade the processor so the task requires less work and less energy.
0: I love that. I think action is the antidote to anxiety comes in quite well there. Yeah. Much of the time when we have anxiety about anything, which is approaching us in the future, it's because of a fear of a lack of capacity in order to be able to deal with it, yeah. And then that's where procrastination comes. You think, oh, I'm really going to struggle with that thing, that project, that conversation I'm going to have. And then the deadline arrives, I'll put it off. I'll find an excuse. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll delegate it to someone else, whatever it might be. Whereas, as you've identified there, if you're moving towards that that goal right.
1: you're in, you're in control people, of it. people have solved these problems I, I mean i interviewed patty mccord from netflix who's you know really kind of thought leader on the great culture but direct with people and when she we talked about like letting people go and something they really struggled with you know she she would coach her mentees when they had to have one of these conversations they haven't done it she's like call your voicemail have the conversation <laughs> with your voicemail 5 <laughs> times before you do it and listen to it right it was, there was not a secret it wasn't a hack it was actually practicing it doing it like knowing the framework how to do it and it was very pragmatic advice on like yeah of course you're not going to be good at this if you've never had this conversation that's why you need to practice having this conversation I wonder again whether this links back to the
0: cerebral overly cognitive argument that I made a little bit earlier that we presume because we see wonderful leaders that we guests are just bestowed with this magnetism and they just flow in a room and everyone loves them, it almost makes us forget that it's a skill, the same as anything it's else. A great,
1: it, it, it's a great lie. We tell ourselves a lot of the stories in Friday 4, if you ever listened to How I Built This Podcast, you know, my favorite part is all these Super successful company and people their worst dark moment where like they were almost out of business and and they go on for a long time You know for a lot of people we love to be like oh that company was an overnight success, right? Because that ascribes it to timing or luck or I don't think professional athletes get enough credit You know in cases where you say Oh, it's just so gifted like practices 10 hours a day Like if you wanted to be a professional speaker and you practice speaking 10 hours a day, you would probably be a good speaker I mean most of these athletes look it's what they love to do but they, the amount of work that they put in to practice things before they do them far exceeds anyone in the business world.
0: 100%. I've been hugely on this flex recently that so few people, even if you're fully aligned, your goals, your dreams, what you know you need to do, you've broken it down into the individual steps and you're committing yourself fully, being as present as you can. But think about how far from an athlete's level of preparation yeah. everybody else is, except for the the total freaks within their industry, the Elon Musks of this world, probably a couple of guys at Google and Facebook, you know? Yeah. You think an athlete's optimizing his food, his rest, he's thinking he three about- co- He
1: has three coaches and he's the best uh, in the world, And right? he's surrounded yeah. by
0: a team of people who are all on the same journey as him. Yeah. He's sleeping thinking about what he's going to do tomorrow. He's waking up in the morning at the time that's prescribed, all of that stuff. So thinking like an athlete, no matter what your industry is, I I'm, I've taken a lot of inspiration from that this year, yeah. trying to turn pro. Right.
1: And who are the athletes that always disappoint that people are, are are you know regret signing? They're the ones who
0: don't do that work. Who looked but, like
1: right, but they had a lot of talent, right? Or I, they I looked from all- the
0: outside coming in right. the best signing of the year, and then you get him into the training pitch,
1: and he's leaving right. halfway through the day. They, 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 they I, When I think about all that bust in National Football League, which is the biggest draft, it's it was the really talent. They were dro- drooling at a talent, but not passion and wasn't willing to do the work, right? What's next, physical? Physical,
0: yeah. Physical, how do we expand our physical capacity?
1: Well, it's interesting, you know, physical, uh, taking physical as an analogy to the other capacities, we understand it more. We tend to think that we have these things or we don't have these things, right? Versus you wouldn't say, oh, I can lift the found, found weight five times or I can't. You'd say, if I did it for 90 days each day, then it would be, it would be easier. So, um, you know, it's the health, well-being, physical performance. Uh, I think we've moved past the, uh, Greg McKeown talks about this a lot, but I think we've actually fortunately moved past celebrating leaders and executives who get no sleep. And, and, and I think actually people are now, yeah, they're now going the other way saying, I sleep nine hours a night. We're not, we're not celebrating that anymore. Um, I think there's managing stress and, and this is again, where, where, where we build resilience. I think sometimes I'm actually, I believe, I think resilience is this emotional and physical flywheel. So I think we, we do something and I, and I had a couple conversations with performance experts around this cause I was like, what's the chicken and what's the egg? And I, and the consensus, not by a 80, 20, but by a 60, 40 was that, I think you do something hard that you don't think that you can do. Upon doing that, you gain uh, emotional confidence that lets you be willing to set a next benchmark. But it's actually that effort. I don't think you can will yourself to resilience. Like, you actually have to get through that race, take that extra step, do it, and then you're like, "Oh, what other lies have I been telling myself? <laughs> I, I, I can't do." And, and you know, the the thing that people are pointing out is that. There's a mentor of mine. He's a great speaker He always offers in a speech ten thousand dollars to anyone who goes back and brings a can of stress into the meeting um, He goes go, go go find me a can of stress and and I will pay you and his point is that stress is not an external thing It is actually an internal response that we do to ourselves And you could be stressed about you know the deal You're about to close for signing your company for a billion dollars You could be stressed about you know not having enough food this day your job. It actually has the same physical response on your body we are using a very outdated flight or fight or flight mechanism like all the time which was meant to save our life and it does biological stuff to our body that's like pretty unhealthy so if 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 we sit in that state we we are releasing tons of cortisol like if we don't but it but it is with we are the only ones that can get us out of that state right i mean it is the world does things that that Cause stress to us, but as we said before, that is a different threshold point for everyone it's a different subject matter for everyone, but it it shows up physiologically the same
0: so you've got something's occurred you've had a phone call something really stressful is about to happen yeah. the partnership that you thought was about to go through tomorrow the merger is on the rocks. What would you prescribe to someone who has had that call to get themselves out of that stress response and to allow them to have that clarity of thought again?
1: Uh, I mean, the basic thing is probably to get outside. You know, you actually have built up that cortisol, which was some. I was talking to someone about this who understands the science of it more. So you've actually built up the fight or flight thing. And so you need to fight or flight, right? So if you actually like a let off, steam let off. Yeah. If you got into a big fight, you would probably let it off. Okay. Okay. So go punch someone in the street. Probably go for a run or an interval training or something to actually like i am very cognizant i don't like running but i love how i feel after i run so i listen to podcasts or i do whatever i can because i know that it just puts me physically in a state that that i need to be in but yeah you actually need to go blow off that steam i think literally or figuratively
0: yes breathing (laughs) as well i'm going to guess focusing on deeper breathing activating the parasympathetic nervous system
1: yeah look if you look there's a whole range of things. I think, uh, if, 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 if you do, you know, a meditation, if you do these things and you're comfortable, you know, these are all things that you could do. It just, I guess it goes to the level of where the person is. It's a good time to turn on your calm or headspace app. I actually think some people though in that immediate thing aren't able to transition right into that. Like, in fact, I'd say like, let's say this was at 10 AM. Uh, you probably want to blow off some steam literally, but, you know, what I found on those days is actually the meditation or something else would be really important in the afternoon to make sure that my night's sleep was good later on, right? That I'm not, it's not replaying, but it is, it is hard to move. It, It takes probably, you know, a Dalai Lama type person to move from severe stress straight to meditation, unless they have deep practice in that.
0: Anyone who's tried to do that, all that you do is sit in the same lovely meditation pose yeah were- and then you just ruminate <laughs> about the thing that you're worried about and you're like this is and then just you
1: get mad at yourself that you can't make wasting the your time it. yeah so i again i'm not a scientist biologist anything but i but i i do think you need some sort of you know walking, breathing, relief, valve from that. Um, but look, if you have it out with the person, you might you might have actually already had that. I think it's more if you go away stewing that, yeah,
0: I get it. Where else in
1: physical, we've had sleep and stress, two key areas? what else? um yeah, I think I think you know exercise, eating i am I am not a, a a dietitian. I am not, you know, so I but i I've, I've read what I try to do is read from everyone that's smarter and and take all the intersecting things, and what do I think is the is the principle? So one thing is that I think there's a lot of science now that that there's a lot of brain and body connection, right? Uh, between what we eat and that it crosses the gut level and then affects how we feel or or otherwise. I think the also dangerous thing out there is that there's a lot of people saying that whatever their diet is, whether it's gluten or paleo or this, is the thing that everyone should do. And the really smart people who know this will tell you that it's completely the opposite. You know, one one man's poison is another man's, uh, uh, no, for now I'm blowing the out of Tonic. Uh, yeah, we'll go with the British, it's tonic. So, um, I think, you know there are definitely different things that that affect each of our health and make us feel, and I think you need to figure out what works for you. But in general, you know, less sugar, less processed food, less alcohol, less caffeine. like I think those are probably all general principles. Many of us are on a, you know, upper in the morning downer on the <laughs> in the evening plan. and and I, I what i what I understand from again, the people who understand this, i'm I'm very honest that this is secondhand is that, you're, you know, you're not allowing your body to go through those processes organically if you're always creating them art- artificially, right? So if you, to the example before, if you only can calm down by having a drink, you've now trained, and you can only get yourself awake by having a coffee, you are now training your body to, to do that.
0: It's weakening, very much yeah. so. The buttress, the scaffolding that your body's laid upon. You know, like one of those, is it a, the Dali painting where all of the clocks are melting and they're all really sort of, flaccid all the clocks are melting on the side of a of a cupboard and it's like propped up by loads of different individual prongs like you know when you put your hands in pizza dough and it's all falling all over it's like these are the little prongs however if you take them away and you allow yourself to cultivate those capacities naturally innately if you choose to have a drink a coffee then you get to expand your domain of competence on top of something which is already sufficient as opposed to um
1: ideally you'd have feeding. the drink after the run and the coffee after the workout, right? Where where you've <laughs> you've combined in the organic response. Yeah, I get it. So emotional, final one. Yeah, this tricky one. So I, you know, a big there's two big things of emotional. There's a bunch of different things, but the buckets. How you react to the things that you don't control. Um, so that's the first one. And then relationships, both the quality of your relationships and who you choose to spend time with. In the first one, I think it's interesting. Like I, I I have some family members that spend a lot of time on weather apps and it always frustrates me. I'm like, to me, the what? weather the weather is the perfect emotional capacity. Like the weather is going to be the weather, right? You are not gonna change it. But if you're constantly, oh, it's gonna rain tomorrow. Or, or, do you look and it's gonna rain tomorrow and like, oh, I'm gonna go to the movies and get an umbrella? Or do you actually like get stressed about what the weather is or get frustrated that it's not lining up to what you wanted, right? That is a kind of a microcosm of emotional capacity. You don't control it, how do you react to it? And the second is relationships. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time with people who I would use a term called energy vampires, like where you actually feel worse after spending time with them. Uh, probably not as much time. Like you and I might not might see each other once a year, but we have this awesome uplifting conversation. It's forward moving, whatever. But then I'm spending a lot of that time with a friend that I just don't have the, You know courage to that i literally feel worse every time um you know i spend with them and i i actually think we need to reallocate you know jim Rome and you are the average of the people you spend the the five people you spend the most time with i i think we need to even make a list of who who do we need and want to spend more time with and how without breaking up or blowing up with those people do we remove energy from those relationships and an example someone gave me is like don't say stuff you don't mean like we should have lunch again next week like after you just got like you don't you just got through lunch and you're it was terrible and this person complained about the thing over like we should do that again soon you don't have to say that <laughs> you don't you don't have to call someone and have the same conversation you know with that relative every four days you could call them every six days um, so This thing about energy vampires, really, like if if you people you feel worse with after spending time with, you need to figure out a way to spend less time with those people. They are not moving you towards your spiritual and intellectual capacity in any way.
0: The British equivalent of a energy vampire is a mood hoover. (laughs)
1: Yeah, but you guys are so (laughs) passive aggressive. Oh, it's so you'll have a hard time. You'll be like, no, let's definitely get lunch next week, and and then afterwards, like, oh my god, that person is the worst. Like. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i think there's certain things that both americans and british could take from each other yeah. and you you are correct the um the passive aggressiveness the quiet behind the back sulking very sulky I, very sulky I, nation I, I was we at are a
1: conference with someone in our industry with a bunch of competitors and they walked up and hugged all of them and uh, you know walked away. I was like, that is so nice. We wouldn't do that in the US. You guys all get along. Like we all hate each other.
0: <laughs> I, just,
1: I thought it was so it was so stereotypical.
0: Okay. So we've looked at the relationship side of yeah. emotional. What's left?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's the things that we control. So, so circumstances, uh, and then and then and then people and, and I think there's also a piece that again to resilience, there is that emotional side of resilience. Like how do i you know how do i plan for the next thing i'm going to do that i didn't think that i could physically do because what 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 i think keeps people moving forward in that is is being vulnerable is getting out of their comfort zone you know i think that greatly increases their emotional capacity people want to share people want to be vulnerable they're, they're just scared to and when they do the depth of their relationship, you know, two people have been having this superficial conversation for five years aren't talking about the real thing that they want to talk about that would actually create the bond that they're seeking.
0: Massively, a huge problem amongst young guys, I think, especially uh, ones that are professionals, type A's trying to be overachievers. They, and I did for a very long time, I presumed that strength and confidence and bravado and courage and all of these things went along with not showing vulnerability. Whereas quite the opposite is true, that the people with whom I have the deepest relationships are the ones that I've been the most vulnerable with. And it becomes self-fulfilling. When you tell someone something which in the wrong hands could be quite catastrophic to you, that's really where you make a connection. And I think there's a, a, a book that's Up on the big shelf up there, The Lonely (laughs) Century by Norina Hertz, uh, talking about this loneliness epidemic that we've got at the moment. And I wonder how many people are combating loneliness by trying to be overly confident, by thinking I am going to be the sort of friend that other people would want to be friends with. And the truth is that being more vulnerable and showing that side of you that is precisely the opposite of what you think other people want. Might be the uh, yeah, quickest way I, to make a connection.
1: I think there's look, there's a lot of culture in this. There's a lot of gender history in this, particularly with boys, you know, and feelings. I, I mean, I, I've heard the story. You know, closer to home for you, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a story from a coach or a speaker, an Irish boy, you know, and his father who just wanted to have a real discussion and give him a hug and I, I mean my friend Philip McKernan you know just talks about you know he wasn't it wasn't until he's was 45 that he and his dad said they loved it to each other They were <laughs> you know just it was this thing you didn't do yeah. and they danced around it and it was like as a as his son it's all he wanted you know what and, and I, I've just I feel like I've heard so there is a lot of there are cultural implications in in a lot of this stuff but I do think generationally it's it's changing a bit which is nice.
0: I really like the analogy that you drew between using the weather app. So we've had a lot of stoics on recently, including Ryan Holiday, and the weather's a good yeah. example. Using the weather as look, controllables versus uncontrollables, the dichotomy right. of control, all this sort of stuff. But thinking about the fact that I was I was laughing at how your friends who like to look at the weather app, because I'm like, oh ridiculous. Why would you do that? But really, everything on your phone is the weather app, apart from individual messages. Looking the news at, is the weather the, app, yeah. Precisely, you're watching the watching the presidential debate. Do you think that what you say is going to change what Donald Trump or Joe Biden says the no, next time- but it
1: affects, it affects you, and, and hopefully my mom won't listen to this, but my mom was in a tizzy the other night, and I was talking to her and, you know, upset more normal about what's going on. I was like, uh, and she just had surgery, so she's. I know she's had sit there. I'm like, how long have you watched the news today? It was the first thing I said. I was like, <laughs> like well, i have just, I'm like, turn it off. <laughs> Just turn it off. <laughs> You've overdosed on news today, yeah, mom. I can tell the two things I've been able to tell in COVID when people are in bad places are, are and usually it's probably both. One, they've been consuming too much news, uh, you know, and, 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 and two, they have not gotten enough sleep. Those seem to be very clear markers of sort of just low um, ability to deal. That's a one-way ticket
0: to feeling pretty miserable <laughs> in twenty twenty. I think news too much news, yeah. not enough sleep,
1: and, and that's why I believe in these buffers. Like I leave my phone downstairs. I don't really. This guy texting me, you know, this morning asking me something about podcast. This afternoon, did you get? I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't look at my phone for the first hour in the day, and I leave it downstairs because nothing good happened overnight. You know, other than some guy emailing me that there's some guy, you know. 11 million pounds state and i'm the you know beneficiary you know what i can do, i just send him a check <laughs> like nothing great happens overnight uh and and i'm not a doctor so it's not an emergency but if i as soon as i look at that i'm going to be pulled into that world
0: 100 yeah. percent.
1: i've
0: i mentioned before we started i'm a club promoter and i have a a little quip that i so always really use. nothing
1: good happens overnight
0: <laughs> dude after 1 a.m nothing yeah. nothing interesting has ever happened <laughs> Ever, 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 ever It'll happened. only be a
1: bad email, yeah.
0: Precisely. Self-limiting beliefs was something that I wanted to talk about with yeah. you. A lot of people, we mentioned imposter syndrome earlier yeah. on. How can people overcome those self-limiting beliefs?
1: I, I think you need to look at the source of them. I, I think a lot of times, I think you can think back to childhood. There were a lot of things placed on people and think about where that came from. Uh, also there's stories that we tell ourselves because we don't want to do something and we don't want to fail at it like I always think it's interesting when someone says you know there's a framework that that a coach I worked with once used more business coach but says I can't do that I I could never write a book okay well why give me the five whys why you can't write a book so his thing is he takes the five reasons why you can't do it and then asks you how you could solve each of those five things well I don't have the time well how could you solve that well I could you know, I spend 30 minutes every morning writing it. Well, I I don't have the experience. Well, how could you solve that? Well, I could hire one of these companies that does, you know, ghostwriting. Well, I don't have a topic. Well, how could you solve that? Well, I could spend a few of those days in 30 minutes like picking topics and ask my friend. And so like it it basically like rhetorically puts it back on themselves because I, I I sometimes again we were told we couldn't do something, and the most damaging ones come from third parties, but a lot of time I think it is a protection mechanism um look there's some reality like i could not be a professional football player like <laughs> i don't have the talent i could work as hard as i want but i don't have the talent but but i just i i i always squirm when someone tells me they can't do something that i intuitively know that they can do because i i think they're just trying to protect themselves because the alternative of saying i don't want to do that doesn't sound as good
0: i agree about internalizing the the bad third party uh rhetoric yeah every bad inner voice that we have was once a bad outer voice i think yeah
1: someone told you you were stupid your whole life like that's a very hard thing to overcome and believe you're smart right or someone said that to you or those things are pretty pretty damaging
0: it can also going back to what we said at the very beginning talking about the spiritual a lot of the time people i think can internalize that and use that as the the main thrust of their career so there's another greg McEwen example about a guy that was a a CFO i think or a COO or something but still believed that he was terrible at maths yeah. because his like some grade school primary school teacher yeah. had said you suck at maths at 8 years old and he'd carried that with him and then made it his career and still COO or CFO of this huge company Still believed that he couldn't do maths.
1: And look, I'm very believing remember my respectful authenticity value. I I believe in telling people the truth, but I think as, as a manager or leader, you can do decades of damage, right? So if you worked here and I was like, Chris, you're just not take some right out of the office. You're just not management material, right? <laughs> this is like I that could sit with you for a long time. You could be really like have some, you know, confidence issues from that. But if I sat down and said, Chris, you know, I have looked at you, I've what you've done managing. You seem to love being an individual contributor. You know, it, you you want to sell your own thing. You want to be responsible. Like, that's very different than leading a team. I, I think you could actually do really well in this. But, but this requires leading a team. And I don't really think that's actually what you want to do or whatever. Like, those are very different ways where one might actually help you realize that, oh, people, I just thought I had to lead a team to get ahead. That's actually not what I like and I've been doing it versus me. Crushing your soul by, by by attacking you you know personally, and I, I've heard from a lot of people that how a comment from my boss has has had five or ten years of damage you know on their on their confidence in their career. It's dangerous, man, as you
0: rise up through the ranks of any business and you start to get subordinates below you or if you're a business owner and you have the entire company below you, the words that you say have a disproportionate impact on people long after you've left them or they've left you. I do think there's a big, a lot of responsibility in that. I I don't often hear talked about actually either in in the business. No, and the
1: truth is the truth, right? So to say, Chris, you are not doing well as a manager, that is the truth, right? But then the other truth is, and I think it's because you actually don't want to be one if you thought about it. And you want to be, you don't want to manage salespeople. You want your $2 million book of business. You want the credit. That's great. But you actually just need a role that that reinforces that, right? There, There are two different ways to have that have that conversation.
0: I love it. Final thing, Um, you talk a lot about how we can use and relate to our competition. think in 21st century, always on social media, comparisons, how much do you earn, the, the new house, the new car, how can we use and relate to our competition?
1: Yeah, to me, like healthy competition is is I actually think we need to lose. to We we need to learn to win well and lose well. And look, all monopolies happen because there's no competition. So I, I actually believe that competition is just about raising our own standards and understanding that whatever I'm doing today, if I'm doing the same thing in 10 years, it's probably not. A winning strategy, right? I like to say, if you were the best horse and buggy repair person in the entire world, you probably don't have a lot of work right now. So, um, I, to me, it's it's raising the bar on yourself, embracing it. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm pro competition in that way. I'm not all saying it's all about winning. I actually, I don't believe in that at all. But I think when you elevate the playing field, you you do it for everyone. Like, I don't want to be the 10,000th best place to work. Like, I want, I want to be the, you know, top 10 best places to work. I I don't think you'd have a lot of people who'd say like, oh, I want, you know, the person I want to fill this role is the person that no one wanted, right? I the, the, You know, there's usually someone that everyone's trying to do. So I, my, my, my and my, my favorite example is the most enlightened yoga teacher in the world will compete for a single job at the biggest you know most prestigious yoga studio like it just is is reality and there's times when we need to win well and there's times that we need to loon well lose well but at least we're trying to up our game i like it robert man
0: i really enjoyed today where can people go if they want to sign up to your newsletter where else do you want to send them
1: uh yeah so everything's really integrated now at robertglazer.com, glazer.com g-l-a-z-e-r.com Uh, the books there, books are there, Elevate podcast is there, and they can sign up for the Friday Forward newsletter as well. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for today. All right. Have a good one.